Start your day the right way by taking charge of your physical and mental fitness. It's important to know your numbers. They determine if your blood pressure is high or low, your cholesterol balance, even your blood sugar level, heart rate, and much more. Get tested by visiting your doctor, clinic, or stop by at any health center closest to you. Take control today. This message is from Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela. This is Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela. Today we're going to be speaking about lung cancer. Lung cancer is actually a terrible condition that unfortunately is, you know, it's something that people don't really know about here in Nigeria. So Dr. Agafuru, can you just tell me why? Why is it that people think that lung cancer isn't really a problem here in Nigeria? Is it? Is it really? Um, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm glad to be here. The first question was, why is it that people don't know so much about lung cancer? Well, that can come from two different angles, from the patient side of it and from the physician aspect of it. So most times we don't really understand that these things are actually clinical entities that people in other parts of the world have to deal with. So from the physician part of it, you know, we don't have so many specialists who would help to get a diagnosis. So it's a bit of a diagnostic dilemma. And before you realize that the person actually has lung cancer, the person actually have passed. So it's important to understand that there are risk factors that could lead to this entity and be able to recognize the signs and symptoms that could help you make an early diagnosis so the patient can actually receive the best care. And then from the patient perspective? From the patient perspective, we have to actually take those notes we see on cigarette packs seriously. When you see smoking kills, and you see the Surgeon General's warnings, those things were written because they're actually true. So when you look at the worldwide trend in smoking advertising and the bans that have come with smoking and all that, you realize that you know the whole world is sitting up and taking the issue of lung cancer seriously because its most commonly recognized risk factor is smoking. So people really have to understand that when you have an unremitting cough that's productive, and you realize that you've gone to the physician and they've ruled out tuberculosis and they've ruled out other infective causes, you need to look closely. Instead of going to some charlatan or unorthodox place, you need to go to your physician and actually have yourself scoped out and have a biopsy done. Now, before we go into details about scoped out, can you talk a bit more about the risk factors that people need to be aware of? And for my personal question, what about all this vaping and all these cigarettes and all that? Are they a risk too? Or is it just the, only the normal cigarettes that create a risk for everyone? Okay, so vaping is actually like way worse than just normal smoking. It's an artificial type of delivery. To be able to convert the nicotine into the vapor, there's an extra chemical that's put into it that helps you to deliver it in such smokeless fashion. And what happens is that in addition to the risk that you're getting from having these um, these toxins in your epithelia, in your bronchi, you actually have that extra chemical that helps to deliver the vaping. And it leads to a particular, a new type of um, respiratory ailment. I can't remember the acronym, I bet our pulmonologist would, but it's called vaping-induced bronco. It has something to do with the bronchi. So it's actually terrible and it's been one of the major causes for emergency room 
presentation by young people recently. So vaping is way worse than smoking. And that's not to say any of them is any good at all. But coming down to the risk factors, just like you asked, the most common risk factor. So now you're asking about a risk factor. I have to divide them into two different entities when you talk about lung cancer because they don't have the same behavior and they don't have the same outcomes. So as a clinician, when you're talking about lung cancer, you have to be able to discern into two. So are you talking about small cell lung cancer or are you talking about non-small cell lung cancer? So I don't want to give too much information that will overwhelm us, but it's critical to understand that small cell lung cancer has a very awful prognosis. It's our pathologist will probably tell us more about that. It, it's, it's so bad that the diagnostic dilemma would even confound the doctor so much that before you even get a diagnosis, it's already at a locally advanced to metastatic stage. The more conventional lung cancer that we know and deal with, the, the um, non-small cell lung cancer that has a variety of others in it. So smoking also is also a risk factor. You have occupational exposure sometimes. You might have occupational exposure to some metals and some chemicals. You know, there's asbestos that has been closely linked to mesotheliomas mm -hmm. and some type of lung cancers also. Then there's been... Um, I don't I don't know how common this is in Nigeria, but you know, the way American houses are built, they have a lot of contact with the earth itself. So you have your basement from which you have the first floor of the house and you have the upper landing of the house. So they have a lot of radon exposure. Radon is a naturally occurring radionucleotide. So it's been found that that has contributed a lot to risk factors with um, lung cancer. So basically smoking and, you know, chemical exposure, occupational exposure, but at the very top of the pyramid is smoking. What about the shisha pipes? Because a lot of people think that doing shisha and doing all the other things removes the risk of uh, lung cancer and other things. So maybe I should rephrase from smoking to combustibles. Let's just say combustibles. Secondhand smoking, firsthand smoking, however you're delivering it, as long as you're having those combustibles and you're inhaling combustibles, you're putting yourself at risk not just for lung cancer, which sometimes might be even a late case sequelae, but for immediate respiratory ailments that would happen in the here and now. You can have sudden closure of the bronchi and you can have emergency room presentations. It hasn't even gotten to lung cancer yet, but those things are really, really dangerous and we need to bear that in mind. Okay, so those things are really should be avoided. Now, you also went on to talk about Diagnostics. You talked about, about about scoping. You talked about you know getting a diagnosis promptly. Can you tell, explain what is scoping for our lay people who are listening, so that they know what they should be looking for or asking for? And you know what happens when a scope is done? Okay, um, just like almost every um, every um, cancer, when you're managing in oncology, we don't manage on our own. It's always a multidisciplinary approach. So when you meet uh, a case that you're expecting for lung cancer, you have to bring in the cardiothoracic surgeon, you have to bring in the pathologist, and you also have to bring in the ear, nose, and throat specialists or the ORLs, the otorhinolaryngologists. So those would help you obtain a sample from, because I mean, you view it, you do a CT scan or in some places that are more resource constrained, you do an X-ray. But ideally, you should do a CT scan. You see a mass on the CT scan. So how do you approach the mass? 
Because like I said, you have to discern if it's small cell or non-small cell because they are very different in their behaviors and their treatments and their outcomes. So once you miss it at that point, you, there's no way you're going to get um, good outcomes for the patient. So the most important part of management of lung cancer, I would say, is the diagnosis. You have to get an accurate diagnosis. How do you get an accurate diagnosis? You have to get a sample, which is what you call a biopsy. That's a sample from the living tissue, which is where bio comes in. So the only way you can actually get some sample, it's not the only way, but the most common way that most of the um, ORLs use is to use a scope. So that could be a bronchoscopy. You could do a fiber optic bronchoscopy. You give the patient some kind of mild sedation and pass a scope through the nostrils. And it will go down into the trachea and into the area where the trachea um, bifurcates into the bronchi. Wherever the mass is, it gets a piece of the mass. Not all of it, just a little piece, enough to get some diagnosis um, histology. You come out and it's a very short procedure. It's in and out. It doesn't require admission. And it's very widely available here in Nigeria. And certainly available at the NFI Cancer Center where you, where you are. We, we we have access to all the specialties because we are based in the teaching hospital. So yes, it is available. We can get that done. Wow, I think so we have so many questions though. One of the questions is who is, you know, more prone to having lung cancer? Is it more common in women than men? And what are the kind of symptoms that we you know a person should look out for? Particularly okay. if they, they smoke. Okay, so there's something interesting about the epidemiology of lung cancer, and that's something I have a lot of interest in because thoracic malignancies, they are, there's, there's something of uh, an area of specific interest for me and subspecialty. So, I said that back in the days, maybe let's say about 25 years ago, it was noted that the adenocarcinomas, which are a type of non small cell lung cancer, they were more common in women and the small cell lung cancers were more common in men. But as the years have passed, it's been noticed that the the predilection, the gender predilection has almost been erased completely. And it's almost at a one-to-one -one between the both of them. Now, people have said, is it because women are still smoking more and men are still smoking less? There are a lot of arguments for that. But right now, I can't say which is more common in the genders. But there's always a slight disparity in terms of small cell lung cancers and men perhaps because of occupational exposure or men are heavier smokers but the long and short of it is that lifestyle changes have happened and women are smoking more now so there's a shift in the clinical entities you see in both genders and as for risk factors, what kind of symptoms okay yes symptoms. I, I, I thought you said risk factors so symptoms sometimes just like almost every other condition you may be asymptomatic. Asymptomatic means it might be an incidental finding. You might just go to the doctors or you might go for an employment check and they do an x-ray and they see a mass. And when you start investigating it, you find out that it's lung cancer. But almost commonly, you, you, you tend to have weight loss. There's going to be some weight loss because lung cancer tends to happen with a lot of what we call paraneoplastic syndromes. It's one of the most implicated cancers in paraneoplastic syndromes, which means that Apart from just the, the presence of the cancer itself, there's so many metabolic things that are going to be going on, breaking down, building up, and tearing up all over the place. So weight loss is, is going to be in there somewhere. A cough, of course, because we're talking about the respiratory tract, and the cough might be dry, it might be productive, 
But in most sinister fashion, sometimes it might have bleeding in it. So that tells you that there's been some invasion of a blood vessel or there's a local invasion there. Then depending on the extent now, you start to have stones depending on the areas that it may or may not have spread to. If it has spread to the back, you might have back aches. If it's spread to the back, seriously, you might have, you know, inability to stand up straight and walk. And sometimes in the small cell lung cancers, the thing about them, why they're so devilish is that they are one of the cancers that love the brain more than anywhere else. They love to go to the brain. You know, other cancers will go to the bone or to the liver, but these guys, before you can say anything, they've already gone to the brain, which is why part of the treatment for these patients is prophylactic brain irradiation. Once you see them and you've treated them, you have to do a brain radiation. Sometimes they might come confused, having memory loss, and you see symptoms that are so obscure. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're listening to Doctors on Air with Dr. Pamela. Good morning, Dr. Adewani. It's a pleasure to have you once more on the program. Thank you for coming. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, we're talking, and, and um, Dr. Bakul spoke, you know, quite succinctly and said how important diagnosis is, how important pathology is, and how important the fact is that, you know, oncology is a multidisciplinary uh, subject. So can you tell us from your perspective, what are the things, the important things, just simply, of course, that our listeners need to know about diagnostics in, in this case? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, so diagnostics play a very crucial role. Uh, of course, before you go on and treat an entity like cancer, you need to have a very clear diagnosis. And for you to achieve that clear diagnosis, of course, it all begins with the clinical information um, that is provided to the doctor. So um, sometimes it could be asymptomatic, like Dr. Chidi mentioned. Um, then beyond that, um, um, there are some suspicions that will go through the doctor's mind based on the kind of symptoms and signs that you present with. And then the doctor having a suspicion will want to have some level of confirmation. Um, so that warrants taking a biopsy, you know, and that requires getting a representative sample. Um, so that's where we talked about bronchoscopy. Now that sample needs to go to the lab and that needs to have an histologic examination of the specimen. But beyond this basic histology, there needs to be ancillary investigations um, to be able to type for that, you know. So these ancillary investigations are able to help delineate in specifics what kind of cancer, what kind of lung cancer we're dealing with. Is it a small cell? Um, is it a non-small cell? Because all of these have implications for treatment or for therapy. Um, so beyond that as well, there are still investigations like oh, or the immunohistochemistry where we direct some immunostains um, to different kinds of antigens on the lung tissue. And that helps us also characterize um, the lung cancer better. Now, so that's about making a diagnosis. Now, beyond making a diagnosis, um, you also want to prognosticate. You want to look at the outlook. You know, so some of these um, lung um, subtypes, um, the cancer subtypes, they have their different outlooks um, in terms of prognosis. Um, so that's immunohistochemistry, which is when we direct some immunostaining against antigens on the lung tissue helps us to further characterize. Um, also, we also do um, genetic studies. Um, so there are different ways around that, but there are very advanced methodologies now where you can actually multiplex and be able to look at different gene targets in that tissue so that you can look at what is the 
genes or what are the genes that are driving the kind of tumor or the kind of cancer that you're seeing you know and i mean generally in the realm of cancer we talk about the uh, the genes, we talk about the tumor suppressor genes and their mutations affecting them driving these tumors or cancers to grow um so the common ones you get to hear about in a condition like lung cancer you hear tp53 you hear the keras of course these are not um they are not specific to lung cancer so if you're talking about colorectal cancer you hear the same thing like keras mutation you hear egfr you hear... being a bit technical doctor i don't want you you can make it a bit simpler yeah so to make that diagnosis uh, we talked about histology um we also talked about characterizing the kind of lung cancer for that uh, where we do some ancillary investigations to be able to tell what kind in terms of real subtyping of the tumors um and then we also talked about why is it important because you're talking about going deeper into ancillary investigations to do subtypes why is that important why do you need to know it what does it what benefit is it of it for the patient right so when you have the um, specific subtype it helps to determine the treatment and to plan treatment um so there are um treatments um that are given based on the kind of genes that you also have driving um take for instance you have um the lung cancer being positive or something like a2 um then you can get a drug that, that can directly target those long tissue those aberrant tissue expressions because of the expression of that particular kind of um, um abnormal gene or abnormal antigen on this lung cancer so it helps to direct treatment too and so you can really focus your treatment so it really points to individualizing care you can really focus on oh yeah this is the real biology of this kind of cancer and then you can direct your treatment you know like i mentioned so it helps to prognosticate and again the other good thing is that when you have this um um biomarkers you can also um sort of monitor response to treatment um so if for instance you have um a 70% tumor expression and then down the line you're getting treatment um and then you are getting a 10% tumor expression after um three or four cycles that improvement that's achieving you know significant improvement that you can really track so those are very good benefits you can really define your diagnosis too you can prognosticate in terms of looking at the outcome and then three you can really guide your choice of therapy because you can then individualize care and direct um specific treatments that will benefit um the particular patient and of course you can also monitor response to therapy when you are able to identify these biomarkers thank you thank you very much that's very useful Now Dr. Abakaru, we have some really important questions that have come through. The first questions are that number 1, is lung cancer specifically a risk for people with the following? 1, people who smoke cigars. 2, people who smoke e-cigarettes. And 3, people who smoke weed. Dr. Abakaru. Uh, thank you so much for putting me on the spot. That's that's very kind of you. Uh, I want to start by adding to what um, my colleague just said and he was on every wise to do those tests he talked about is to save me also you know we're paying out of pocket in this part of the world you can't afford to be treating the wrong entity so you're saving money for everyone also and back to your question i was just trying to do anything not to touch on that question but <laughs> back to the question so you asked if these things are risk factors you know honestly Sad- because uh, the reason why we have to do it is people with cigars They tell you oh, no we're not inhaling we're not part of it people will um, do smoke weed people will think what well, uh, on e-cigarettes 
actually, I think they, they are totally immune from it because it's an e-cigarette. Those who are smoking weed believe it's a cure-all for everything. But we need to address all of these three. Okay, so there's a psychological defense mechanism behind all these statements you just talked about. Now, for example, people who smoke cigars, they pride themselves in the fact that cigars are expensive, cigars are hand-rolled, and cigars come from the best leaves that are farmed in the best mountains in Colombia, and it's a status symbol to hold a cigar. When your friend comes over, you open your cigar box and you give him a cigar. And yeah, kudos to them. They don't get to smoke one cigar in one sitting. They smoke it over several days. But you're still smoking. We talked about the last part where we where I had to, you know, paraphrase completely and stop using the word smoking and combustibles. There's a reason why they say secondhand smokers are also at risk. Imagine if just sitting by somebody who smokes, you're still at risk. And talk less about actually smoking. So vaping, cigarettes, cigars, they all put you at risk because you're introducing what we call nitrosamines. The end product of when you're talking about the carcinogenesis, I don't want to get too technical in it, but when you're talking about how the cancer starts, that's something you learn in postgraduate medical school. How is it that smoking turns to cancer? So you would hear at some point, they will tell you about nitrosamines. So nitrosamines start the carcinogenic process in the bronchi. So all these three things you mentioned here will end up generating some level of nitrosamines. And yes, I mean, I have to talk about the weed smokers. You know, it's it's something I didn't want to talk about. You know, it offends the sensibilities of so many people. But the reality of it all is that, you know, in as much as there has recently in the past couple of years been an argument for medical cannabis, but still smoking marijuana, as long as you're smoking marijuana, you can't con yourself into believing that you're not at risk for lung cancer. You are at risk for lung cancer. There was actually a study I saw a while back. I think that was like a couple of months ago. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was in the Lancet. And they talked about the risk from smoking marijuana and smoking cigarettes almost equalizing at some point. So that's something we need to look up. It's We can't live in denial anymore. There is a risk. It's up to you to make the decision as an informed adult but there is still the risk for lung cancer, if not the same as regular cigarettes. So, thank you so much, Doctor. I don't want your last words, please. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think for me, it's important to just emphasize to our listeners that um, um, accuracy of diagnosis is very important, and that biomarkers are available for us to be able to um, also guide therapeutic, uh, guide the choice of treatment as provided by the physicians. And then these treatments or these diagnostic markers are available uh, and they are locally available and can be assessed. Thank you. We actually have run out of time. This has been a very interesting, very exciting conversation. But so I just need you in under 30 seconds to give me your last words for our listeners. Okay, so uh, I think from the risk factors we talked about, I would recommend risk reduction. I, anytime I talk about cancers, I always try to stop at the end. For those that you can't screen against, because you can't screen against lung cancer, you can't go doing CT scans every year. So the best you can do is risk reduction. Occupational exposure, stop smoking. Your partner, you have to tell them to stop smoking. And to make sure that your building, I mean, that goes without saying, the building materials in your house are not made of all those old school materials like asbestos, which would put you in danger perpetually. So that's all I have to say. Risk reduction is very important. 
for presenting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Start your day the right way by taking charge of your physical and mental fitness. It's important to know your numbers. They determine if your blood pressure is high or low, your cholesterol balance, even your blood sugar level, heart rate, and much more. Get tested by visiting your doctor, clinic, or stop by at any health center closest to you. Take control today. This message is from Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela.